Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. And I've asked Christine Ward Page to come back to the show and talk more about eOceans, her app. That helps regular people, people who are on the ocean, on the beach, hanging out, report things. Things like animals in distress, dead fish, pollution, all kinds of things. Good things, bad things, anything. And you're making a difference. So thank you for joining us, Christine. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Good it's to great to have you. It's great. Because I think, you know what? I get a little focused on the dogs and cats and the land animals. They kind of forget that like 80% of the world's biodiversity is not on land, has nothing to do with <laughs> land, right? There's all these like sentient thinking mammals living under the water that we just don't even consider. Yeah, no, animal parties should be talking about this. So I'm really glad you're on the show. I talked about uh, sturgeon in the last in the last show and how sometimes I see them jump and they're just these prehistoric monsters and they're gigantic. And I think most people don't even know about them. There's so many things in the ocean most people don't even know about. So I'm sure your app is helping discover new things. Is that part of it? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we've talked about one thing is is trends. So we want to look at trends through time and trends through space. But also, you know, people are seeing new things all the time. New species, species in new places that we didn't know that they were, interactions between new species. And so you know, as like I said earlier, is that scientists, we, we only can sample such a small fraction of the world's ocean. And so by crowdsourcing and involving the public, and especially people like dive tour guides, who are out there every single day, ferry operators, you know, they go back and forth across the same part of the ocean every day. And they see new things that, you know, are typically undocumented. And so bringing these to the surface can really help not it's not only exciting, but it's also, you know, it helps us discover more about the ocean and what we and really reminds me of what we still have to learn. You know, it reminds me a little bit the tweaking, like when you talk about trends and how sometimes the best intentions go wrong because we just miss it by a week. You know, so, for example, sometimes I have more land experience, so there'll be like some kind of bird sanctuary. And there'll be an order made in the court that the miners can't mine within a certain distance of the, of the birds while they're nesting. But if they're off by a week and they let the mining and the noise begin before the nests are empty, the whole thing fails, right? Mm. But someone has to actually report that, uh, excuse me, you got your dates wrong. We need to extend this or your range is wrong or you're not in the right location. You know, all these efforts to curtail the, the noise for a week or two are not going to have any good effect unless it's done exactly right. And I'm sure that's what's going on with the ocean, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the ocean, we've got these things called marines. Well, we've got marine spatial planning, which can include marine reserves, marine protected areas, which there's a major push for growing those to cover 30 percent of the world's oceans by 2030. You've got time area closures, which are closures that only are for a very short period of time, like you mentioned, to protect, say, spawning grouper, spawning cod. So you keep out certain fisheries at that certain time that we think is when it overlaps with their peak spawning. 
But things like climate change can really change those distributions and those timing of those. And we may not know because a lot of the data that we have is based on, you know, the last, you know, four decades of data, which is great. But now we're in this time period of change in the oceans and on land and also with the blue economy. So, you know, there's this increase and in push to grow and diversify the blue economy, which also impacts all these different layers of wildlife in the oceans. And okay, so, okay, whoa, 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 yeah, yeah. I need to Sorry, define yeah, yeah. that. What is the blue economy? Oh, the blue economy. Okay, so this is, you know, everyone's definition is quite different. I think some people in my mind are mistakenly equating the blue economy with the ocean economy, but I think of the blue economy as equivalent to the green economy. So these are, you know, the parts of the ocean economy. So it's a subset of the ocean economy that depends on wildlife and that depends on, you know, sustaining that wildlife, whether it's fisheries or tourism or coral reefs that, you know, protect the ocean assets. And, you know, you go out to the ocean for tourism or whatever it is. So it's really ties into and necessitates uh, sustainability and conservation in order to grow that blue economy. Okay, has your eOceans app been part of anything to do with reporting on the effects of salmon, farm-raised salmon in oceans and their causing problems to wild salmon? Uh, it, oh, it, a big it sigh on big that sigh. one. I'm sorry. I, no, no. I think, so first of all, we're just getting started. So previously, everything inside of eOceans was done manually. So we just are launching the app and platform as part of it. So that's based on a lot of, so we did work in Fiji and Thailand, working with the tourism, but it was all manual. And it informed the development of the app and platform that we have, that we're launching right now. So we haven't yet done on this but you know I sigh because there's so many things that I think that if we had eOceans I mean we have it now but if we had had it 15 20 years ago how we could have tracked things better and done better from the beginning you know yeah. and so it's technology wasn't ready 10 years ago 15 years ago t society wasn't ready you know 20 years ago so now we have it and now we can start to do things more collaboratively in real time, whether it's salmon, you know, and I want to see it being used for the positive. So as we implement, you know, new rules and regulations, as we learn more, I want to see it being used to measure our success. So, you know, we can set goals and we can actually measure our success towards those goals, just like you would any bank account or fitness goals. And so that's the way I would like to see it be used. We're going to go to break and come back. And I want to talk to you about overfishing. I think a third of the ocean is overfished. So we're going to talk about that. Come back from the break and listen to us because we're going to dive deep into the cool ocean on Animal Party at Pet Life Radio. Stay tuned. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. 
Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back. We're cooling off in the ocean. Just learned what uh, the blue economy means. That was good because I was confused. And um, okay, so Christine Ward Page is our guest with eOceans. And I'd like to ask her is it true that a third of the ocean is overfished right now? Overfishing is a big problem, yes. So I was part of a study a few years ago now that, you know, was just trying to do back of the envelope. So my expertise is really in sharks and sharks and rays. And so trying to figure out, you know, how many sharks are killed every year and whether or not those are sustainable. So, you know, there's overfishing and we tend to fish like the way that fish stocks are managed is typically by this what's called maximum sustainable yield. So you take out some fish and then they they grow back. But now we're moving towards this ecosystem based approach to fishing so that you consider, you know, the prey and the predators and all the interactions. So we're getting a better understanding. But yes, unfortunately, the oceans have been and continue to be overfished across most species and populations around the world. I was watching the news the other day and something came up that I thought was just horrible. And it was supposed to be a good thing. It was like, hey, look, isn't this great? This student researcher has come up with this new way to deal with plastic. So she's going to be able to take plastic and with some kind of E. coli treatment, make it into edible vanilla flavor. And this is supposed to be great because now we won't have all these plastics in the dumps. But to me, I think this is backward thinking. We have to stop using plastic altogether, not make it ingestible. What are they thinking? I don't want E. coli and I don't want plastic. I don't understand <laughs> how, how they put the one plus one equals seven. Like it just makes no sense to me. Plastic in the ocean, in our fish, goes in our bodies. This is a big, big problem, right? It is a big problem. And I fortunately have know some of the best authors, I mean, and scientists that are working on this problem. And it's not a simple solution. So, you know, we've become accustomed to plastic solving a lot of our single use issues, but also, you know, problems in our house and stuff like that. But replacing the replacement is not quite clear. Replacing it with polymers and other things like that is not clear. So there's not really a straightforward answer. The, you know, the management reducing, like you mentioned, is fundamental to the success of keeping it out of the oceans. So reducing that numbers of the number of plastic that you use whether especially for the single use and being very cursed in my household, at least like we are very cautious about everything that we buy, regardless of it being plastic and, and trying to, you know, reduce the amount of single uses that we use. So we even have like a garbage budget in our house. So we try to produce like less than two bread bags full of garbage every two weeks. So that's just sort of like an in-house goal, yes. but keeping it out of the ocean is, you know, 
so many countries and places around the world, they just don't have, it gets incinerated if it doesn't go to the garbage, which has carbon dioxide problems. And if it ends up in the ocean, it, it continues to cause problems and it breaks down and causes even potentially more problems. So it is, it is a huge problem that we need to tackle. Yeah. A really, really big problem. Yeah. And I still see still see products coming out where they advertise that it's got beaded Disposable. technology mm -hmm. or, or that there's beads in the product, that the things mm -hmm. that are so, so microbead tiny that are the worst for the marine environment. Okay, so I want to yeah. make a special mention here. I don't know why people still do this, but when they're sad about something, they'll launch these clear balloons mm. into the air. And I think like, why are you doing this to the ocean? Why? Why are you launching these balloons? These balloons look like food. Can we talk about that a little bit? What a balloon that someone lets go and floats onto the ocean, what that does? Yeah. So, you know, a, a plastic balloon, it goes up into the air, it pops, it falls down into the water typically. Or even if it's on land, it goes down into your storm drain and gets washed out to the ocean or to the lakes. And then it looks like food, like you mentioned, it's similar to plastic bags, you know. And so animals that eat things like jellyfish, like turtles, they often mistake them for their food. And so they will ingest them. And then we find them, scientists find them in the guts of their choking the insides of the animals. So if you want to, you know, do a memorial, remember somebody launched balloons for a cause, do something else, figure out some other way. And I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting, oh, let's touch on this right now. I'm not <laughs> suggesting you launch invasive species somewhere. Okay. Because that's something people do. They will launch fish into a river or birds somewhere they should be. And I mean, it's okay if it's homing pigeons and they come right back to the guy who rented them to you, but, or doves. But if you're working with something else, this may mm -hmm. not be a good idea. Okay. Can we talk about invasive species? E-oceans, e that must be really helpful with tracking these buggers. Yeah. An early warning system for invasive species. For example, you know, the Pacific lionfish was found by divers in a few decades ago and scientists really ignored them when they said that they saw these fish. And so now they're essentially ubiquitous on, on reefs all across. I think they go down through Brazil and all the way up to North or North Carolina. I believe that's their range distribution now. And so they're not meant to be there. They're from the Pacific and they're voracious hunters. They got on a reef and they eat all the other fish that are smaller than them. So there's, you know, now there's these campaigns to hunt out all the Pacific lionfish. And so, you know, you've got everything that goes along with that, making jewelry, recipe books and cookbooks and stuff such like that, trying to, you know, reduce the numbers of these of these invasive species. It's a problem. And it, that's just one example. It's an ongoing pervasive problem along all coasts around the world. Well, we have to take a break. But when we come back, you've said a few things that make me I want to talk about sharks and I want to talk about rays. And also, I want to ask you about octopus. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back on Animal Party with Pet Life Radio and me, Deb Wolf, and my guest, Christine Ward-Page. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. 
With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Hello! Back on Animal Party. Get your feet wet. We're going to the beach with Christine Ward Page. And we're taking our eOceans app because we might just see something. We might see a fish. We might see a bird. We might see pollution. We might see something we need to report to help, to help get the word out. Because you know what? If we're all reporting at the same time, things can be done. Animals can be saved. Migration can be tracked. New patterns can be noted. Policies and protection efforts can be targeted better. Cleanup can begin. Scarce resources can go to where they actually are needed rather than searching for problems. It's so much better. So get your eOceans app. Okay, so Christine, uh, I want to ask you first about octopus. Okay, I've seen footage of octopus flying and traveling huge amounts doing this weird thing they do where they hover and then they just launch themselves. You got anybody reporting that on the oceans? Well, I have had people reporting on octopus. It's not something that I know a ton about. I have colleagues that are much more informed, but they are very interesting and cool animals to see as a diver. That's for sure. Okay. So sharks and rays. Yeah. Everybody probably is afraid of sharks. Most of us are, but Apparently, you're more likely to be hit twice by lightning than be hurt by a shark. So are they really as bad as we think? Well, I mean, I have been around many sharks in my life and I still have all my parts and never been afraid. Well, I can't say I've never been afraid. The first time I saw a shark, I was, you know, in my early 20s and I was checking. I had some sediment samples underneath a dock where the sharks came in to feed. And I was down there by myself at six o'clock in the morning and a big lemon shark headed towards me. And I was on breath hold and there was a big lemon shark headed towards me. And when I saw it, I just like flew out of the water and it similarly darted in the other direction. We both scared each other. <laughs> so other times, you know, I, when I was seven months pregnant, I was in the Bahamas again with the late Sonny Gruber, who was an amazing shark researcher who took us out to go see some of his research sites. And one at one site, he had you know, a whole bunch of Caribbean reef sharks and, and was throwing bait at them while we were in the water. And I was seven and a half months pregnant. And he put the bait so close to us. He said, Oh, push them away, push them away. But I couldn't because I had this big stomach in the way. And so but no, I've never had a negative incident and seen lots of bull sharks, tiger sharks, not yet seen a whale shark, but I can't. Say. I find that amazing because I I'm normally not a fearful person, especially with animals. But the one time that I was able to jump in the water and swim with a whole group of wild dolphins, mm-hmm. I had fear. Mm. I was trying not to have fear because mm-hmm. I'm telling myself these are dolphins and flipper mm-hmm. and it's okay. But but they're awfully big. 
and awfully fast. And there were lots of them. And I was completely surrounded above and below and around. And that sounds wonderful. (laughs) It was, it was, it was, it totally was really, it was in Florida off Captiva Island. And I was working on a boat. I've had a bunch of jobs on boats. I've uh, worked on the beach and ferries, a bunch of boating. So I've I've been out in the water a lot and had some great opportunities in that same area in Southwest Florida. I was able to spend quite a lot of time with manatee, which I wasn't afraid of. Oh, beautiful, beautiful animals. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, for people who don't know this, their mammary glands, their, their breasts are located under their flippers. So when they nurse their babies, it looks like they're hugging them. I mean, they're just beautiful. But yeah, no, even though the dolphins were not aggressive to me in any way, just mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they're huge. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like NBA players. They're enormous. <laughs> and they move so fast, like a blink of an eye, like a dragonfly or, or a swallow, like faster than you could almost see. Right. And you're coming up for breasts way more than they are. So you're kind of disoriented anyway. I don't know. I could feel the heat flooding out of my armpits because I was scared. So I knew that they knew that I was scared. Right. Because they must know. So the shark must know, too, if you're afraid. Right. Oh, I don't know about that. They may smell it in the water. I don't know about that. I don't know. They're keyed up for smells and tastes. And, you know, I would think they would. Well, you're a brave woman to go with the sharks, but like you say, they're misrepresented, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they're just doing what, you know, for me, I remember having this conversation with some of my peers early when I first started, you know, studying sharks and you'd hear the, the word shark attack. And I just think, ah, oh, you know, the intention, that means intention. So now we use the word like it's a shark bite or shark incident, but we can't know what the intention was. And they're just predators in, and they're not all you know, they're all predators, but they're not all hunting big things. Some of them are small, fairly docile animals that are eating small prey. And so, you know, sharks have, there's many different species and types of sharks. And so not grouping them all as that idea of jaws, for example. Right. Okay. So I was surprised to hear you talk about rays. The only Mm -hmm. rays I'm familiar with are stingrays, which Mm -hmm. we encounter in Florida. And then Mm -hmm. you have to have the child you know, that's been on this playing on the sandbar, come out of the water and go to the clinic. So why are people (laughs) interested in playing with these things? I guess are the manta rays non stinging? They must not be. No, but but people go, you know, lots of different rays people go. Those are a hot, hot item to see when you go diving in the Caribbean, lots of southern stingrays. And really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and in fact, one of the first papers that I wrote was that was based on crowdsourcing data was on the yellow stingray, which was, it's just a small little stingray that doesn't capture the attention of most scientists. It's often overlooked because it is, it's considered to be fairly common. It's not commercially targeted. And we found, so by using crowdsource data, this is a different um, type of crowdsource data. So it's, but they're trained divers in this case, that we found that they were um, declining in many parts throughout the Caribbean. So, you know, they, they, just like sharks, they come in very many different sizes and shapes and personalities and behaviors and, and such. So they're also a very interesting species group. As it goes so far, where in the world are you receiving reports? Is it absolutely everywhere? Like, are you getting from every ocean? 
Yeah, so, yeah. When COVID-19 hit, um, I put out, so scientists use a platform called ResearchGate. So I put out there, I said, I'm going to study. So I had just the beginnings of, a, of the eOceans mobile app. And I said, I'm going to try to study the impact because when COVID-19 hit, we heard so many stories of nature rebounding. And mm -hmm. then, so I reached out to a few of my colleagues in different parts of the world. And I said, is this what you're seeing? And they said, no, in some places around the world, World, you know, because tourism is has dried up, that they are going out and fishing inside of the marine protected areas, they're fishing where they wouldn't have fished before. And these are divers in a lot of cases that don't want to be fishing, but now they need to feed their families. And so right. it's, you know, so I thought, well, let's see if we can study, you know, this, the the impact of COVID-19 and human confinement on the oceans and coastlines and the blue economy. Um, around the world. So I put it out on ResearchGate and I had afterwards, I had 28 other researchers reach out to me from 28 different countries say, I want to collaborate with you. And so we ended up with a whole cohort of, of different countries from New Zealand and Australia to Cameroon and Nigeria, Mozambique, South Africa, Iceland, Brazil, Colombia, Chile. And so quite a in more countries so 28 of them i'm not going to mention them all here and so yeah so that's what we started off with so that's sort of our case study using the platform and using it meaning we're still growing it so we are yeah is there anywhere you feel is underrepresented like for people listening right now uh, that, that happen to visit the beach and they're in the right area yeah. Any area, what anywhere where? along the beach you know scientists tend to study we go to places that are fairly remote or are of significant scientific interest we tend not to go where everybody else is and mm -hmm. so if you think about it that that you know every time you go to the beach look around if you don't see a scientist then nobody is capturing what you see and then when you leave and somebody else comes they can capture what's there after you and so each one of these, all these different people are really an important part of this whole documenting the ocean. So I think of it as like a digital twin of the ocean, but from a human perspective is really what we want to get to. So everyone can help. So, okay. So average person goes to the beach. What are they going to see that you would want them to report? Well, first of all, is what activity are you doing? So if you think about just that one thing, where people are surfing today, where they're fishing, where they're walking has value has in terms of the blue economy social value cultural value that has value and so if something happens like an oil spill or climate change that impacts that that is like the most fundamental piece of information and so what you know on in california they're they're documenting they're seeing that because of climate change and temperature change in the oceans that the wave height and the wave shape is changing and so that may change where we can even just surf or and you know with coastal inundation so with sea level rise maybe we don't aren't able to walk where we once were able to walk so that's like fundamental like first things first is just what are you enjoying what part of the ocean are you enjoying and for what activity and then second you know and we don't expect everyone to be able to identify every single species so if you see a fish and you don't know what kind of fish it is that is still great information we know there was a fish there hopefully somebody else nearby you knows what type of fish that was because they also saw it and so that can help us to do our qa qc our quality checking and quality control of the data and sort of looking for variables and outliers so anything that's different and that's sort of like how we're, we use that data 
That's amazing. Okay, everybody, please go download eOceans and go to the beach and log in and or go sailing. <laughs> You're sailing. Go sailing fishing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's been great. I'm really happy to do this because it's just going to cause so much good. It's going to be a ripple effect all along the oceans of the world through my listeners reporting in. It's going to be great. So thank you again, Christine Ward Page and eOceans. That's the app. And so just to leave you with the message from the website, right away, you can reduce your carbon, eat sustainable seafood, talk about it with everybody. Don't use plastic and keep yourself educated. Those are the five things. Plus, of course, get the eOceans app and start logging in what you see when you're at the beach. That's what we need you to do to keep the oceans working well and keep our programs of conservation targeted in the right places. So thanks again, Christine Ward-Page. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. All right, everybody. From Dabwell, that's me, Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.